From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, IOLs in the vitreous and in the future, at the 2015 ESCRS meeting. It clearly shows that there is a very fine line between the degree of zonal weakness that you can really stabilize just with a capsular tension ring and that degree of zonalopathy that's going to need a suture device. First this. If time and money were no object, you'd probably go to a lot of meetings. Not just ASCRS, but ESCRS, APACRS, AAO, Hawaiian Eye, and Winter Update, and you'd learn a ton. But money is an issue, and time an even bigger one. That's why I go to all of those meetings for you, speak with the presenters you'd like best, and get them to distill their talks down to just a few minutes. You can see all of these interviews at no cost at the iWorld Replay website. Just go to ewreplay.org, E-W-R-E-P-L-A-Y.org, and enjoy. had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the ESCRS annual meeting in Barcelona. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorld Replay website as brief videos. I'm going to present these interviews in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today, we'll hear from Liliana Werner on dislocated IOLs and Gerd Alfart on IOLs of the future. I'm here with Liliana Werner. Liliana, you presented at a, a, a symposium, a major symposium here on 40 consecutive cases of dislocated IOLs. Uh, you, you, you did uh, the, the, the laboratory portion of this, but can I get you to talk about this session generally first, and then we'll talk about what your findings were. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much for the opportunity. And this symposium uh, is totally dedicated to the problem of late postoperative in the bag IOL dislocation because many surgeons really have the impression that this is a problem that's growing in numbers each year. And so there is this whole ESCRS symposium dedicated to that. So recently we did a study in collaboration with the Goethe University from Frankfurt, Germany. And uh, Dr. Thomas Conan and his colleagues, they explanted this in the bag dislocated intraocular lenses. And they sent all of these specimens to our laboratory in Salt Lake City, Utah. So during the symposium, um, he was responsible for the presentation of the clinical characteristics of the cases. And I um, ended up presenting then the uh, laboratorial characteristics of the cases, the histopathology, the car- characteristics of the tissues, the IOLs, etc. Can I, can I get you to talk about some of the histopathological findings? Yeah. What is very interesting, and I can give a little bit of background, Please. is that in our laboratory we already did different studies on the problem of late in the bag dislocation. And a few years ago, we published a paper on 86 consecutive cases. But what was interesting is that just few of these specimens came between 2000 and 2003. And then all of the other specimens came after 2006. So we saw this huge increase in number of cases. And um, 
about the same study, in none of those specimens there was a capsule attention ring. So it was just a capsule bag containing the IOL. So this, in an indirect way, um, said that there is an efficacy of CTRs, of these devices, in preventing maybe this complication. But then later we start receiving many specimens, uh, the dislocated capsule bag containing intraocular lenses and the capsule tension rings. So then we clearly saw that the CTRs do not really prevent this complication. So we published a second paper on 23 consecutive cases all with capsule tension rings, all of them, many of them with capsulorexis phimosis, so the rings do not prevent phimosis also, all of them then dislocated. And in some of them it was very interesting because the lenses um, in the capsular bag were very thin hydrophilic acrylic lenses, and the contraction of the bag, even with this CTR, was so important that the lenses flexed anteriorly. Really? and the optic was pushed posteriorly with a refractive shift and then dislocation. Very serious problem. So in those two studies, we did complete histopatholo uh, histopathology only in selected specimens. But then we had this opportunity to collaborate with the university in Germany, and we thought we should do complete histopathology in all of the specimens because uh, we had this thought that maybe the problem of pseudo-exfoliation is much more frequent than what is really thought. And sure enough, out of the 40 specimens we received, we found uh, clear signs of pseudo-exfoliation, histopathological signs, in 26 of these specimens. Really? But only 13 of the patients had history or clear clinical signs of pseudo-exfoliation. So there is a problem of under-diagnosis of this condition. Yeah. They're really, really interesting. Were, were there, now granted, it, it, this is not a, an epidemiological study, but were there lens materials that were more associated with this than, than others? That's an excellent question because at the beginning of the study we, we had the same thought that maybe some materials are more uh, prone to cause fibrosis of the capsule bag, uh -huh. so dislocation would be more frequent with those materials. But all type of intraocular lenses in terms of materials and in terms of designs were represented in, in that series. And actually in these three studies I just mentioned. So we do not have an impression anymore that there is a preference towards a design or towards um, a material. What we did note though is that all the cases we had like flexing, anterior flexing of the haptics of the lenses, these were very thin hydrophilic acrylic lenses. But really, really, really interesting stuff. Is there, is there anything that I might do differently in the way that, that I do surgery? And I'm particularly thinking um, about the indications that I uh, may have for using capsular tension rings. And that's why these studies are being so helpful, because there is, it, it clearly shows that there is a very fine line between the degree of zonal weakness that you can really stabilize just with a capsular tension ring and that degree of zonalopathy that's going to need a suture device. So that's why we keep collecting this data because this will help us answer this question. 
This is just wonderful, wonderful mm -hmm. stuff. Liliana, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful that, that, you, that you came here and, and presented much. this. It was a wonderful talk, and, and I'm, I'm delighted with the time that you, you've spent with us today. I'm here with Gerda Alfard. Gerda, uh, I'm, I'm sure you'll agree with me when I say that the IOLs that we're using now, uh, not, not just the specific models, but the sorts of designs that we're using now are not the ones that we're going to be using 5, 10, 15 years down, down the road, that there are really some exciting things coming up. And the broadest category of the exciting things are what we term truly accommodating IOLs. Now, before we talk about what the, the sorts of lenses are that are in development. Let me ask you just briefly to define what the difference is between a truly accommodating IOL and the presbyopia correcting IOLs that, that we have available now. Yeah, you're, you're completely right. At the moment, uh, you see that here on the ESCS, uh, it's, it's a huge topic, presbyopia, presbyopia correcting IOLs. And we've seen in the last five years tremendous development also in the standard lenses that we used to put in the eye and uh, uh, really refinements in the optics and in the optical uh, approaches that they try. Uh, we're talking from diffractive and, and bifocal lenses, we're going to trifocals, we're going to enhanced range of vision or enhanced depth of focus lenses of various types that we have now. Here we just play with the optics. Here we chop off the light in different portions, one for the near, one for the distance, or we try to extend the depth of focus, but we are not changing the, the refraction like the, the natural lens is doing more or less. We are really playing with the optics uh, to create several images or a broad range of images. And then the brain has to do the work, which usually automatically our natural lens is doing and focusing. The, the brain has to pick out the right, the right image. Now, to, to, to be clear, it's, it's, it's evident from, from prior studies that presbyopia really doesn't have anything to do with the uh, ciliary muscle strength. So the, 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 the potential to move a lens is still there. Yes. What are some of the new designs that are uh, in development now that can utilize that muscular strength that is still there uh, to perform uh, the way that our own crystalline lenses yeah. do or did. Yeah, you're completely right. It's, it is a rigidity of the of the lens itself, and not of the apparatus around it. The sonules, the capsule, and the ciliary muscle is, is still capable of doing its work uh, until you die, more or less. Uh, there are a lot of evidence for this, and uh, it is extremely difficult to use this tiny little force, which is transferred from. Uh, the ciliary muscle via the very tiny sonules to the capsule to create something. And uh, we've seen over the years that a complete movement of an intraocular lens is, is very difficult to handle. And, and, and the movements must be so tremendously that you're almost ending up in the anterior chamber uh, to have that, that effect. So well, the anterior about, shift, I mean, just, I'm, yeah. sorry, I'm sorry to yeah. interrupt, but when, when, when you talk about movement, because we're going to make the distinction later on, you're talking about movement of a single optic. Of a single optic, yeah. yes, yes. And, and this doesn't work. And, and dual optics uh, approaches have been much better. They still lack uh, uh, to reach a certain uh, threshold where you can say this is a, a comfortable accommodation. And uh, what is now really uh, in test, also in clinical studies already, uh, are shape-shifting lenses, lenses changing the curvature. 
And uh, I think on the long run, we will have even more developments that take advantage of a lot of things that you can do also with the material. We talk about refractive index and as I said, the shape changing capabilities and to take the small amount of, of power that comes and translate it in something to, to get an effect of it. This is what, what, what is a problem and which, which is attacked actually right now in, in uh, several models. The, the, and some of these shape-changing lenses will use media with indices that are different uh, and, and change the contour of one of those media within the other medium. Yes. Um, you know, there, there's there's one concern that, it, that is mentioned with all of these lenses that rely upon zonular action, which is, will these lenses perform um, with, if the capsule fibrosis and contracts? You know, yeah. will 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 there still be that 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 potential space for the lens to actually move in? Yeah. This is definitely a challenge. Uh, we we know that. We have seen that with all approaches where you more or less fill the entire uh, capsular bag with a lens, and most of the models that are working with that are completely filling that. And uh, in these in these lenses, we rarely see any PCO, and uh, uh, really not much much fibrosis. We've seen that with the synchrony lens, which was a huge uh, uh, lens. The power vision lens, the fluid filter, is completely filling the capsular bag. And, and as far as we've seen, uh, there's not much fibrosis going on. But we can actually implement also drug delivery systems or other things to attack lenses epithelial cells or to attack the uh, inflammatory reaction, the cytokines and everything that's created after surgery or during surgery, uh, and to minimize that and this way make these lenses work. When are we going to see the, the uh, first, first of these lenses in real commercial distribution? Well, the, the, the fluid vision lens, the power vision is already in, in multi-center trials, so it's implanted in, in Europe. Uh, and uh, if you're at that stage, you can say that it takes uh, at least one to two years until uh, you go really on the market. But this is, this is something which is foreseeable. It's not like 10 years or something. Yeah? So let's say two years or whatever, uh, and you have a product uh, you can do or one or two years before this is uh, you know, seen in FDA studies. Yeah, I mean, this is really, really neat stuff. Um, I, I mean, clearly, the, 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 I, I feel as if we are now uh, in a position very, very similar to where we were at the sort of end of the, the incisional keratotomy era, and we were looking towards eczema coming out within the next several years. This sort of feels like that period now that we're dealing with uh, lenses that mimic what we're going to have what we hope to have yes. in uh, in a few years down, yeah. down the road. And the technology is coming from several sides. Femtosecond laser application helps us to create a controlled capsulotomy, which we need for this type of implants. It also has no stress on the zonules when you do it. So this is also important. So they're from all, all areas coming technologies come together uh, uh, that can help us to develop these lenses. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful field. It really is. Uh, I'm happy every day. I'm an ophthalmologist. Uh, Gerda, I want to thank you very much for uh, bringing bring this to us and, and for being so very generous with your time with us today. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Liliana Werner is Associate Professor at the John A. Moran Eye Center at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City, Utah. Gerda Alfard is chairman of the Department of Ophthalmology at the University of Heidelberg in Heidelberg, Germany. Ask questions of Dr. Warner, Dr. Alfard, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. 
write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.